Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. We're back. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Unfortunately, after uh, Dale's little interview with me last week, she decided not to come back this week. No, she's actually not feeling well, okay? She enjoyed her little conversation, and it's actually up as a podcast if you want to have a look at that. We do have an A-grade producer with us. Kelly. Hello, Kelly. I know you don't want to speak. Now, she's just waving. She doesn't actually want to be associated with Radical Australia. She's that type of producer. Now, I do have a guest, a live guest, and he's got headphones on. Headphones on. I cannot believe this. Kelly is such such a door bitch, you know? <laughs> she tells people to do things all the time. Well, look, I apologise, John, but we're interview. Well, we're chatting. We don't do interviews on Radical Australia. John, mm. John Bottomley, how art thou, John? John, I'm very well, Joe. It's good to be with you. Yeah, I'm pleased that I had to give you some of my Panadol so you could come into the studio and speak. I was a bit worried for a minute there. Yes, well, they're doing their job. Yeah, that's good because, you know, ventriloquy on the I mean, a ventriloquist <laughs> on the radio doesn't normally work. No, I although, can understand that. Although Kelly's a wonderful producer, and I think even she could overcome that uh, hurdle. Okay. But I won't ask her because she won't, she won't respond. <clears throat> now, John, this is just a normal chat. Think of yourself as sitting in a canoe. Mm. You're on one side, I'm on the other side. I've got a paddle. We're meandering up what's left of the Murray. No sandbanks. <laughs> and if I... Notice a nice tributary, we just go down that path. All right. Good. Don't answer questions you don't want to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not here to make any score any points. Sure. I'm not here to humiliate you. I'm not here to mm. make you into a deity. It was just a general chat. Okay. okay. Can I welcome John in properly with an applause? Well, if you wish, you want to, you want to give him an applause. All right, give him an applause. <laughs> Joe, I have to say that the um, the canoe image mm. is not a great image for me. <laughs> no, no, I know that. <laughs> can you tell us why? Yes, I can. Um, my first encounter with a canoe was probably when I was about 15 or 16 at uh-huh. a, church, a church camp, uh-huh. um, wearing glasses, tipped it over in the drink, lost my glasses. Mm. And then uh, later in life, um, in a canoe, out with my 12-year-old son off the island of... Um, where were we? We were on holidays in, in Asia. In Asia. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, paddling into shore, uh-huh. um, a huge wave, uh-huh. same result, right. lost you, the glasses. But did you find the sun? That's the important thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Or no. did he find you? No, no, my son was uh, – he, he just sort of laughed. Yeah, were, <laughs> he, he cruised in very easily. So we'll go down the tributaries and so on. That yeah, yeah maybe. we'll go down the main stream, mm. I mean, mm. yeah. Now, just to orientate our listeners, sure. because mm. they're usually, we, we're, we're hit with nanogenarians on this mm. on this show. Sure. Just to orientate them. What year were you born? 47. 47. Mm. Oh, you're not that old. You're a septogenarian. Mm, correct. So what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Uh, probably my first memory is um, turning up at uh, prep grade 
primary school. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, my memory is that I didn't start on the day that school started. And I can, my memory is my mother taking me to the classroom where the preps were and introducing me to the teacher. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Mrs. Walter. You remember her name? I do. I can't remember one teacher up to even high school, to be She came back to haunt me in grade three. Ah, we'll find (laughs) out about that in a minute. So where was this prep school? I was at Hyatt State School, which has since been sold by the Kennett government, and it's now Uh flats or something. Yeah, Yeah. well, Hyatt is. It's like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, where did your mother come from? Mum, um, born in Australia. Mm. And and her antecedents? Uh, British. British. You don't know what part of the British Isles? No, I don't. How about Dad? Same. Um, Dad's parents uh, were Australian-born, but the predecessors came from um, came from England. What, many generations ago. Uh, probably at least uh, two or three generations or three before generations. my dad. I'd say at least two. Yeah. So before the war. Oh yes. Much before. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. At least they weren't related to the Tolpuddle Martyrs. Who came out in the no, 1820s. no. Sadly, perhaps. But no, no. Yeah. My, in fact, um, I know that my grandfather's. Father um, did time, so he did time. Yes, in in Australia, in Melbourne, or actually in Geelong, he was the uh, rate collector uh-huh. and collected some of the rates for himself. Apparently, did he? There's nothing mm. wrong with that. It's an old Australian <laughs> tradition. It's called bush ranging. Mm. He, he was he was a white collar bush ranger. Mm. Yeah. Well, what's wrong with that? We, no, we, it's a proud tradition. Yeah, it's mm. a proud tradition. I remember <laughs> when we used to have parking meters with coins in them. They used to collect them. Yes, <laughs> one for you and one for the council. So, mm. oh, it's a pity that he. Did time. He mustn't have bribed the right officials. I don't know any more of the stories. So no. is this, this a stain on the character of the bottom lease, is it? Um, <laughs> I think it, it hasn't been spoken about a great deal. deal. Let's say that. Mm. All right. So the name bottom lease, mm. have you got any idea about its origins? Not really, mm. no. No. Didn't mean you just sat in your bottom as a... And I think from the bottom of the valley, but... The bottom um, of the valley, would be, sounds uh, good. Yeah, sounds mm. good. All right, Hyatt, mm. prep. Correct. Uh, primary schools, I assume you were all over it? I uh, had a great time at primary school. Right. Um, won the Mother's Club Prize in sixth grade, which got, got me a book order for high school. The Mother's Prize? The Mother's Club. Club, club. And mm. why did you get that for? For being good or top being boy. intelligent? Top, top boy. boy. Top boy at high sixth primary grade. school. It's sixth grade, yes. That is a big achievement. I know. That's that something I'm huge, happy to talk huge. to you about. Mm. Well, tell us. Well, how come? <laughs> did you cheat or what? Did you follow your grandfather? <laughs> Great-grandfather? Yes. No, I think uh, I surprised myself. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed primary school and well, what uh, enjoyed studying. What did you like studying. about it? The study or the kids or? Um, oh, I think it was quite a free time and, um, mm-hmm. you know, going out after school. I used to enjoy running home from school and beating the school bus so I could save my uh, bus fare and spend it on lollies. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. great, great, great achievements. Well, it is a great achievement. To um, playing footy bus. around the park with my mates. Well, the problem for me was that uh, it was in my, I think, fifth grade that um, there was a school medical service. Mm. And um, so we did a, um, the, the doctors came and did a test. And I can remember in a line we had to do an eye test. All right. And um, you had to cover an eye and read yeah. the chart. And yeah. I can remember thinking, oh, this will be interesting. And I covered an eye <laughs> yeah. and, and I couldn't see the chart. <laughs> and uh, so I ended up wearing glasses in um, uh, fifth grade or sixth grade. And so that was really the end of my football 
Yeah. Uh, so without so glasses and only one eye function, you catch the ball. But both with glasses, eyes. both uh, eyes. Mm. Oh. A little bit of. Could yes. you read? Well, um, I was sitting in the front. I had. Oh, right. I'd, yeah. had, I'd obviously just compensated uh, um, yeah. for it, but um, yeah. It, it. Yeah, it was interesting because yeah. um, not many kids had glasses then, and it was a bit of a. That was more of a stain on the, yeah, yeah. On the my name than um, yeah. the family sort of uh, history. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, look, uh, I remember those days. I'm, I'm a few years younger than you, and I mm. used to be put at the back of the class in primary school. That's where the troublemakers went. Right. And obviously you're a goody goody. I am. You were at the front of the class. Yes. Which is good. Mm. And um, did, did you excel at anything in primary school, this, apart from getting the Mother's Club prize? Um, I know that's a huge achievement, but anything else? No, no, I... Um, I did. I won the um, underage high jump uh, in fifth grade and sixth grade, oh. uh, and and of course, if you won at the school level, then you went to the district level. That's right. Yeah. And uh, it was quite sobering to go to the district <laughs> level, and they started the high jump at uh, one inch below my best height. <laughs> so I realised that there were other kids who were much better at high jump than I was. Yeah. You do, um, you do that, you know, the old small, big fish, small pool, and off you go. Yeah, but I think um, we were a pretty competitive family. I had um, three siblings, and um, right. my younger brother was a, a top sprinter. Right. Right. Um, so although I enjoyed athletics, I was always in my brother's sort of shadow, as it were, oh, younger yeah. brother. Um, were, were there any other members to the family? Yeah, older sister and uh, younger brother. So two younger brothers. Yeah, and they, yeah. they all still alive? Or? Yes, yes, yep, yep. Oh, that's um, my mother's uh, 98 next month. 98? Yeah. I assume, is she the type of woman that's going to spit at the Queen's telegram or is she going to be I, happy I, with it? I, I don't think that, unfortunately, Mum has a great sort of uh, awareness of um, such events. Uh-huh. Um, so my sister is a carer uh-huh. um, five days a week and I... Care for mum two days a week right. and two nights two nights right. a week. So um, mum's struggling. Uh, she enjoys life, but she doesn't have a great awareness of the what's going on. No, yeah. Yeah. no. I remember a few years ago, there was a, a woman I knew, Jean. She was a hundred, and you've got to go these days. You've got to go to the local politician's office to yeah. get to get your card or something. And they dragged her in. Her, her kids mm. dragged her in, and. Uh, the politician, I think it was a liberal, he said, oh, you must be really, this must mm. be a really great moment. She said, no. <laughs> she said, I've been a Republican all my life and I'm Irish. Right. I don't know why my kids have brought me here. No. At <laughs> 100, you know. Yes. Amazing. All right. So what does a bright boy from Hyatt do when he goes to high school? Where does he go? I went to Hyatt High School. Um, <laughs> that was a big journey, wasn't it? It was. It was um, pretty much the other end of Hyatt from where That's the right. primary school was. Yeah. Um, but again, um, this what was in the 60, early sixties. Uh, yes, I um, I think sixty five would have been my final year at Hyatt High. Right, right. Um, look, I it was a classic. I think uh, the bright boys eventually ended up in the math science stream. Stream, yeah, for grade eleven and twelve. Yeah, and so by my final year, um, I can remember the only mixed class was the English class, so um, pure maths, calculus, which there were no girls, mm-hmm. and um, chemistry and physics, one or two. Yeah. Um, but I bombed out. I just couldn't What do you mean do you ma- bombed out? I couldn't do maths. Um, so I, I just, 
up to that point. I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed. You're an A-grade student. Yes. Well, I think that it was the beginnings of my awakening into the formation of patriarchy, really, Joe, that... You know, awakening. The, yeah, the stream, the streaming. Um, yeah. uh, you know, if you're a bright boy, then you did maths and science. That's right. Yeah. Um, if you're a bright girl, you did home duties. Mm, yeah. So I failed, but um, you failed grade twelve. No, I failed the mid-year exams, and so oh, my right. parents stepped in and got me um, tutored, uh-huh. and I scraped a pass, uh-huh. which was enough to get me um, entrance to Monash Arts. Um, that but, must have been a low mark. Well, it was. There was pretty much all in the fifties, Joe. Um, but the interesting thing, uh, you know, from my where my life was, that I was um, my family were Methodists. So I was yep. brought up in the Methodist right. church, and after my um, between that sort of failure and the end of the year, I had um, an epiphany, if you like, and I decided that I was being called into the to ministry, so... Now, hang on, hang on. This is, this is, I'm, I'm fascinated. Mm-hmm. So did you go to church every Sunday? Yep. Sunday school? Quite often, twice a day, yep. Yeah, and did you do Sunday school? Yes, my word. Right. Mm. And I assume you read the Bible from cover to cover, being a Methodist? No, no. that wasn't required. Wasn't required? No, good no. works. Good works. <laughs> did you do those? I remember mm. I used to go to Catholic... Um, mm. We used to do colouring in of Jesus and that. Did you do that type of stuff or yeah. was that a bit too, you know... Uh, no, we did... Too flowery for Methodists. No, no, that that would have been part mm. of the Sunday mm. school mm. Um, environment. But, yeah. I mean, my recollection of Sunday school was more that um, the teacher that I enjoyed most was... Um, he was a VFA, Victorian Football Association uh, umpire. Right. And a lovely fellow. And, mm. and we all just used to love yeah. him because... We could talk about football, and yeah, yeah. and and he was always interested in our sport. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing about growing up in the church really was that um, if I hadn't experienced that sort of call to ministry, like probably ninety percent of my peers at that time, I would have left the church by the time I went to university because yeah. going to Monash was a very radicalising experience, yes. and. Um, I had the um, the sort of paradox of turning up at theological college, not really believing very much <laughs> <laughs> about what I'd yeah, grown up with. with yeah. um, so it was quite excruciating in some ways to be it sort of be. in that be. sort of um, yeah. channel, uh, feeling that God had actually called me to this work and uh, the intellectual sort of uh, framework that I'd mm. grown up with had just collapsed, really. Mm. What, what, what's an epiphany? What exactly is an epiphany? Well, for me, it was um, a small, quiet voice in the night that sort of said, uh, "You, I want you to change direction, John. This is mm-hmm. the way you're going. It's not working. Um, I want you to come and uh, uh, serve serve me in the church." So, and, 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 and had this been a thought in your mind before? No, no, never. I, never. You never uh, thought you had a career in the church. No, no. Halfway through my year twelve. Um, I was basically following my best mate who wanted to be an engineer, so I thought right. I'd be an engineer. Yeah, right. And I was okay. doing maths and science, so I thought right. that must be the way to go. All right. So did you actually get to Monash? Oh, yeah. I spent. Four, I did an honours degree in sociology at Monash. Um, what? Before you went to Divinity Before College? I went to theological college, theological yes. Theological college, all right. Yeah. So that wasn't the greatest equipment. I was the first Methodist student in 1967 uh-huh. to – sorry, 1970. Right. 
to have done a sociology degree major. Mm. Um, so before then... That, that would have created a lot of conflict and confusion in your mind, wouldn't it? It did. I was ready to chuck it all in by, by Easter. So that's April. So one term of theological college, I was ready to... The, Calls, yeah, call you, it. you mean radicalise, that's the key word, admonish. Yes, yeah. um, uh, but also um, I mm. think that um, the sort of intellectual, uh, sort of theological formation, if you like, mm. uh, that I grew up with was actually quite empty. Mm. Well, and, and most of my peers, um, mm. by the time I'd finished university, they had left the church. Right. And my siblings all stopped attending church when they left home. So um, it was a bit of a paradox to be really em- embedded in the church but not really believing yep. uh, what I'd grown up with. So mm. it was a time of really trying to reassemble something to make sense of it. And what was um, constructive for me was that there were a couple of people around the edges of the college who were um, very thoughtful and helpful um, men as they were. Uh, one of them had a was a lecturer in sociology at the uni- Melbourne Uni and he introduced me to the Reverend Brian Howe who went on to become Deputy uh, Prime Deputy Minister. Prime Minister. Mm. So in 1969, just before I married, I started work with Brian in Fitzroy. And, um, Is this after you graduated from Theological college? No, this is before I started. Before you started, right. Yeah. yeah. So from the time I – sorry, this is uh, my first year of theological college, first 1970. Year, right. right. So halfway through that, mm. um, I got int- I was introduced to Brian and um, that was the beginning of really trying to put together, um, if you like, a faith understanding that made sense of the sort of social justice and peace mm. imperatives of my Monash experience sociologically and also the Vietnam War. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, that was a significant turning point. Were you uh, able to defer the draft because you were a student? Or? Uh, well, uh, I wasn't selected in the draft, but uh, one of the legislative re- exemptions was for theological students. Mm-hmm. I don't know did, why. But did anybody think you were a draft dodger because you were doing theology? Um, it crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that voice in mm, mm. No, at the time. I at mean, the time, yeah. Because yeah. uh, things were quite heated in Melbourne at the time as far as university life was concerned. Yes, mm. yes. There are a lot of people who were draft-resisting. Oh, yeah, at Monash. And, I mean, yeah. I was really an observer of it rather than a participant. But right. the radicalising thing was that um, because I went to Monash, people assumed that I was sort of connected with it all. Yeah. And so I've... Uh, often found myself being challenged, like yeah. in my local church, about it, and I and so I was defending what was going people on. that I didn't actually know, right. but but mm. defending what they were doing, and mm. so um, mm. in that way, I think I imbued, if you like, some of that sort of radical thinking yeah. without being at the forefront of it. Yeah, mm. I just want to take a step back. Sure, I know it's a pretty uh, <clears throat> trivial step, but mm-hmm. I want to know: Were you a ray? At Sunday, were you a Ray, a Methodist Ray? Ah, no, Rays were for girls. I think. I think they were because my my late wife was a a Methodist Ray in Cairns. Yes, that yes, yeah. yes. Um, so but all I think the blokes, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I think Rays are connected with Christian Endeavour, Joe. So uh, uh, we did have a Christian Endeavour mm. group 
uh, which met on Sunday afternoons. And I remember mm-hmm. going to that for a time, but it petered out. Petered out, yeah. 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 No, I, just, I just wondered. That I went to everything that was on offer, really, in, <laughs> in, that, in that sort of period up till I was about right. 15 or 16. Mm. Did you, you said you had doubt in the first year of theology college. How did you overcome that doubt? Um, again, I was helped by a person, um, a, a minister who'd just returned from the States, mm. who'd done uh, sort of higher studies in pastoral studies. And I think like a lot of young men at that time, I just was completely disconnected from my emotional world. And I had the good fortune of having time with this fellow um, in my first term. And he just said to me one time, he said, um, you're, you're, you're upset. And I thought, me? Upset? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a, no emotions. Uh, uh, so I realised that he was correct, that mm. um, he'd actually helped me to understand that, um, that these emotions, I, I was trying to th- do what I'd been trained to do, which was to think things through. Right. But I had to feel the feeling mm. to know what the reality was. Mm. And, um, and it was on that basis that I was able to have a conversation with the principal of the college that, because they thought I was misbehaving because I was a bad student. Because you're Monash graduate. Yeah, and yeah. so on. So Drugs, sex and rock and roll. So with the help mm. of people like Brian, I was able to convince them that that what I was missing was the way in which the faith that I was trying to discover linked with the sort of sociological sort of insights rather than... Mm -hmm. um, So the college then gave me an exemption from the Bachelor of Divinity degree. Right. As long as I attended regularly the courses Mm -hmm. uh, and put the extra time into working in Fitzroy. Right. With with under Brian's supervision. So, so that's so what, what happened. What did you do in Fitzroy with Brian? Well, the first thing that Brian asked me to do was to meet the ethnic churches. So I, I turned up, you know, like I'm a good Methodist background. I'm mm. turning up at the Greek Orthodox Church in Victoria Parade right. and standing through a an Orthodox liturgy for two hours, yeah, which is being which is uh, chanted normal. in ancient Greek, not yeah, even... Yeah, the incense, the smoke. And... and, and, and um, and, and and sort of discovering something about myself, what it mean, what it's like to be the only person in a crowded room that mm. n- you don't know anybody. Mm. Um, and I went to the Serbian Orthodox and I went to the Macedonian Orthodox. And uh, what I discovered was that the priests there just were thrilled to have a theological student turn up who could speak English with them. Right. Really. Uh, and, uh. And, and to see their own loneliness. Uh, at that time, you know, this is 1970, 71. Yeah. And so I formed these lovely friendships with um, a number of priests from the Orthodox tradition and, and learned a whole new way of understanding the, the mm. sort of the liturgy mm. uh, of the church um, outside the sort of Methodist activism um, that I'd grown up with. Yeah. So, the, but also um, I got an opportunity to um, sort of look at what Brian was trying to develop a, a centre that dealt with social justice on a on a on a sociological and theological basis. Was he a basis. politician at that stage? Or? No, he was no. a lecturer at Swinburne in, lecturer, in, in right. sociology, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't go into politics till after um, I left Fitzroy. So, how long did you stay in Fitzroy for? 
and the whole of my theological training, which was three years, and three then I had years. a year working for the yeah. parish. You, you know, we could have actually passed each other in the street. We probably did, Joe. Yeah, because in 1971, I was sent as a delegate right. from Brisbane, Brisbane Self-Management Group, a radical anarchist organisation, mm. to meet the people from the Collingwood Three Store at 42 Smith Street in Collingwood. Okay. You, remember, you may have met them, the Dingo Crowd. They used to put out a magazine called Dingo, and they were quite active at a free store and um, uh, providing uh, services. Val News? No, no, it, was bef- it wasn't Val, no. Okay. Uh, most of them um, ended up in sticky situations. Okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying that at Collingwood Freestyle, the first three legal aid centre ever oh, yes. in Australia, down at Smith Street, and they had a, a medical centre, and uh, they had a kind of an exchange. A little bit to do with the Fitzroy Legal Aid Centre. Yeah, yeah this uh, was, that would be for Fitzroy the, Legal yeah. Aid. Okay. And that actually uh, mm. got the Fitzroy Legal Aid Centre going. Good. Okay. All right, so once you um, mm. graduated, mm. did you graduate from Divinity School? Mm, I was allowed to leave. <laughs> you were allowed to leave. Did they give you your Bachelor of Divinity or no, not? No, 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 no. So no what does I didn't it mean? Do it. What well, does it mean? You've been there four years or three years? What did oh, you get no. For? Well, like a lot of my encounters with the church, really. Um, <laughs> what? Nothing. The, yeah, I, I was the uh, the only person that I'm aware of who graduated with no theological qualification. That means you couldn't get a job, does it? No, I was ordained because I'd served the you time. Ordained, mm. but you weren't. I had no theological qualification right, until, um, right. you know, thirty years later. So you were an amateur. <laughs> you weren't a professional. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't have the piece of paper. Well, I think that's a great question about the value of accreditation because yeah. I've dealt with a lot of doctors and lawyers and psychiatrists in my ministry who yeah. don't seem to have a clue about what the foundations of their vocation are. Uh, uh, you can so, ask me some questions if you want to. <laughs> Oh, well, I think that um, um, a lot of professional training trains people let, not to be human, but to, to know the techniques of their well, of their right. profession. And, and, yeah, and everybody thinks I work under the Hippocratic Oath. I never, I didn't even know what the Hippocratic Oath was mm. until after I graduated. It wasn't mm. an issue in medical yes. school. What the issue was is whether you knew your biochemistry and your physiology and you sure. know, your anatomy. Yeah, the ethics of medicine were not something that we actually spoke about. Well, I and think... And so you're quite right. And, and this is a major problem today. Mm. I mean, just looking at the work, I've, I've been doing some work on the um, Banking Royal Commission. Mm. Um, the discussion about ethics is, is so shallow as to be lamentable. It is. Um, so what is know. ethics? Well, you see, what the commissioner said in relation to that particular question was that um, the root cause of all the misconduct that he uncovered was greed. That's right, it was a lot of garbage. Of course it was a lot of garbage. Mm, mm. But because his definition of greed essentially was people were greedy for themselves. Mm. Now, the biblical tradition, the word for greed is just covetousness. It's about harming your neighbour. It's actually taking from your neighbour. It's a fundamentally different thing. So... Ethics has got to be about relationships and about the power of uh, people in relationships and whether the relationships are doing harm to people or they're being fruitful, they're helping people to to live a more full life. Mm -hmm. So any ethical debate or discussion that reduces ethics to ticking boxes, which is what what we end up with when the law becomes the guardian of ethics, is is, uh, people trying to be good, they're trying to perform according Mm. to somebody else's standards, but their heart's not in it. Mm. They're just 
ticking the boxes so that's that they right. can practice yeah. what well, ever they practice. Aged care ticking the boxes, oh, medical no. care ticking the boxes, mm. police mm. ticking the boxes. It's all about ticking the boxes. It's a fundamental, um, I would say, spiritual problem. That is the lack of hum- the lack mm. of understanding of what it means to be a human being. Right. Look, I'll give you a break. You can. Drink a bit of water. It's uh, 4.29. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm interviewing John Bottomley, and uh, Kelly is pushing all the buttons but refuses to talk to two old men. She said she, she does have a standards. <laughs> it's 4.30. Uh, the program is podcast. You will be able to access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Kelly's a new producer. She doesn't understand that part of her job will be to podcast the program after... <laughs> She's looking at me in askance. Can we play announcements? No, we don't do announcements, thank you. We don't do music, we don't do announcements. It's not often that you get to talk to a human being for an hour. Anywhere. Mm. Anyway, even that, some, they've got some show on the ABC which claims they talk to somebody for an hour. It's a lot of garbage. Mm. Mm. Now, getting back to you, what was yeah. your first real job after you graduated from Divinity College with no degree? Um, I did a year at Fitzroy as what was called parish worker. Mm-hmm. So that was just helping um, the new congregation that had formed around Brian's ministry and another young minister um, who was also working outside the parish. So that was a good year. Then I, the Methodist Church um, sent me as the term mm-hmm. um, to the city of Knox uh, in the field of Knoxfield, Scoresby, yep. mm-hmm. as a second minister, second Methodist minister. Well, this in is the, in the mid uh, this was in 1974. That would be, be new territory, wouldn't it, Knox, in those days? It was the fastest-growing uh, municipality in Australia mm. when I arrived. Right. Um, and, of course, we've had fastest-growing municipalities <laughs> right across the outer areas of Melbourne. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you have much of a congregation? Um, it, was on the, it was on the turn, as it were. So mm. it was a, um, essentially a rural congregation in a when I arrived the the building itself was about to celebrate their hundredth anniversary so it was an old farming church mm-hmm. um, in Scoresby um, the majority of the congregation were um, sort of new suburbanites or um, market gardeners right um, probably about twenty five maybe thirty members mm-hmm. I'm probably the only minister who has the record of having built up a congregation of 30 members to 25 over a a nine-year period. So you had nine years there. Oh, I cleaned out some – well, I shouldn't say I cleaned them out, but there was a little upheaval after a couple of years of my ministry, Joe. Was uh, that that when you formed the Uniting Church? Was the upheaval? Before, before, yes. What was it all about? Um, I shifted the pews, Joe. You shifted the pews. <laughs> that was it. Yep. It wasn't some deep philosophical argument, just the normal. Oh, human I think direction. it was, but yeah. I think that was symbolic of um, the change. It was yeah. about to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, one Sunday, um, uh, one of the people who didn't like my preaching stood up and said he wasn't going to have it anymore. And right. He, <laughs> he, he got a congregation of thirty. You think? Mm. Yeah. So he walked out. Uh, with his family and a number of people walked out with him. So it was quite traumatic at the time. Yeah, but what was the issue? Um, I can't remember it in crystal clarity, but it was something about... um, He said I'd made a commitment not to um, have conversations in the church and there was a conversation happened. Uh, So I I had invited people to respond to my sermons. Right. um, 
but I think it was. I don't think it was about that. I think there was some issue, and I can't remember no, what it was okay. now. But what's it like? Did you have any children by then? I have a son. Did my wife had, had, had he been born then? Or? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he was twelve be, months old when. Yeah, we, it must be very difficult to kind of have uh, any standard of living because I assume you don't get heaps of money. Um, no, that's not correct. Oh, maybe I got in the wrong profession. Uh, I should have gone to divinity college. Are you yeah. suggesting I should have? Well, <laughs> over the course of my ministry, the um, the the arrangements around uh, parish ministry are quite. Um, generous, quite generous, and, mm. and particularly um, mm. if you don't live in the manse. So if you're not, if you have your own home, right. um, which I had in my second parish, um, right. then you get a manse allowance, you get mm. a car allowance, which is mm. quite generous. So you put the allowances together, mm. you can access um, um, what do they call it, fringe benefits mm. arrangements. Right. So the last time I looked, the total package. For a minister in that circumstance, could have been around ninety to a hundred thousand. That's that's not to be sniffed at, is it? Well, not no. I mean, get, yeah, I won't go into my critique no, well, of my colleagues. But. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, mm. I'm interested in the in the formation of the United Church. Were, sure. you, were you involved in that debate? Uh, I voted for union when I was at Fitzroy. In I think the vote was probably around um, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Right. Um, it was implemented in seventy seven. By then, I'd been at Scoresby for um, mm. three years. Mm. Um, did people leave because of the? They did in our not my congregation. Mm. They'd left for other reasons. The ones who were leaving, mm. um, but in the the Methodist circuit, uh, the Baronia Church uh, split. The Baronia Methodist split, um, and and certainly uh, many. Presbyterian churches left the union yep. completely. Do mm. you, you think it was a good thing to form the union? Um, I think on reflection, no. Why? Um, because I think it turned out to be a restructure, whereas the vision was that it was actually a renewal of the church. Right. Um, but it, it, that was a takeover, it, was it? No, it was an amalgamation. Amalgamation. But I think... Um, The theological vision that on which we voted was not the reality that underpinned what happened. Right. And 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 what I draw from that, Joe, is that um, rational um, theological principles don't change people's hearts. So voting for a set of theological ideas um, didn't provide the formation, if we're going to stay with that word, mm-hmm. for people to move into the union. Right. So what happened at union was that, um, like, uh, at, the, at the state level, Methodist Presbyterian congregations come together, all the social justice departments combined, mm-hmm. all the Christian education departments combined, all the women's groups combined. So there was no... There was no conversation about do we need social justice department do we need these things mm. we, everybody just wanted to keep their position Bench. yeah, yeah. Um, and then there was little sort of brawls about if these are combining who's going to be the director of this who's going to be the director of that mm. um, at the local level you had the same thing mm. so in my case <laughs> there was no presbyterian church in knoxfield right um so the Effectively, nobody wanted me in their parish, so right. so Scoresby was left um, to look after itself, 
and the central church had to prop, prop up my ministry effectively and the church for because that was a guarantee that no one would be worse off. off by the, would but, be yeah. Closed down. So, yeah. um, but <clears throat> in Baronia, where there was a Presbyterian and Methodist church, of the combination. The structure of the church today wouldn't be any different from what it was in 77, right. except that it would be smaller. Mm-hmm. So uh, in in the 70s, there might have been cricket clubs and footy clubs and all mm. these things around churches today. That doesn't happen. No. They've just gone. All right. Did you, so did you go from ministry to ministry or was there a break? At one stage no. you decided that things should you should, you should move in a different direction? Um, look, um, at the end of my nine years at Scoresby, um, my wife Margaret had gone back to work. Our son was um, in fifth grade. So um, I sort of said to the church, I won't, I won't up, uh, uproot my wife's work. Mm-hmm. She gave up what she had to come with me to Scoresby. We're not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And the church couldn't find a placement that would allow Margaret to keep going in her prof- new profession. So we moved into rented accommodation and um, I was unemployed for a period of time. So what does an unemployed divinity minister minister do? Oh, you get depressed. You get depressed? Mm. Um, eventually um, I had a friend who I'd done some work with um, who had a, a friend who was... Um, sociologist and consultant and he needed someone to help him with a project at the Williamstown Naval Dockyard. Right. So Peter, it was his name, Peter contacted me and asked if I'd be interested to do it. So because I was unemployed and because Margaret worked, I was not eligible for any benefits. Right. So I wasn't earning anything. So I thought, all right, give it a go. So I went out with Peter to the dockyards and uh, Brian Howe by this time was the Minister for Defence Support. Which was Uh, useful. (laughs) Well, it wasn't. uh, Brian didn't know about that, but I mean... um, But what was happening was that the the dockyard had been um, in in financial trouble and the government, through Brian's initiative, wanted to um, brighten it up give it a, another chance, as it were. So they introduced the original, uh, the first occupational health and safety reforms mm-hmm. and an industrial democracy agenda. So the job that Peter had was to um, carry out a survey of the workforce on the um, health and safety reforms. And so I signed up for that with Peter, and then he got an offer of another consulting job, which was going to be full-time for him. Mm-hmm. So I said, John... I want you to do the, <laughs> the health yeah. and safety survey at, yeah. at the dockyard. So I was on my own. Mm-hmm. I had a job uh, in the uh, shop committee rooms, the union shop committee, combined right. union shop committee. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there as a minister. I was there as uh, someone with a sociology degree. Yeah. So I started talking to the um, delegates um, and um, I found that um, my pastoral training um, stood me in some good stead. So I found that a number of the delegates were very stressed about the responsibilities they had caring for their members, dealing with a fairly um, hierarchical uh, management that was shifting from naval control to civilian control. And I started to sort of um, find that the, these men were wanting to talk to me about 
other matters than just what was happening. Yeah. Um, and again, I had an epiphany. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that voice came back, did it? It did. So what did it say? Sitting, uh, well, we were sitting down for Smoko one morning, uh-huh. and uh, ETU, Electrical Trade Union delegate, um, was sitting at my desk, and he got out his morning tea, and I didn't have any. Um, and he said, do you want some of my um, morning tea? And he had this round of salada crackers right. sandwich. Yep. And I, I was about to say no. I could, And I said, oh, okay. And he held them in front of me and he broke them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is the action of the priest at the altar. Mm-hmm. And he's sharing with me his bread. And in doing that, I felt I was welcomed into his world. Right. And I thought, um, God is calling me into this space because the church has neglected working people's lives for too long. And from that time on, I dedicated my ministry to working people. So what, you'd be described as an industrial chaplain? Or? No, no. I was I was not there. Uh, the, chaplain, they were called sky pilots by the, the that's delegates. That's right, sky pilots. Yeah. Okay, you so, weren't a sky pilot. No, no. You were there as a sociologist. I was, and nobody knew I was a minister. Right, that wasn't part of why I was there. It so, was only later that yeah. people found out I was a minister. And I, I, it was funny because uh. it was a young, not young, it was a uh, an English uh, AMW metalworkers delegate. Yep. yep. And he came up to me one day and he said, "John, I have to apologise for my swearing." And, 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 you know, like everybody swore like troopers. This yeah, was sort yeah, of yeah. That's an, normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. But once they found out I was a, a minister, uh, they were embarrassed. Yes, and yes. I thought, gee, that says a lot yeah. about the, the, the status that, that the clergy have in the life of these people. Mm. Um, but, you know, I mean, I accepted his apology for, yeah. for more of a conversation, but yeah. I just thought, you know, we're so we're, uh, symbolically, I represent another world. And and I didn't want to go back to that world that I uh, had come from, really. So, so, so what did you do as a sociologist? How many years were you in this? Uh, well, I was there for 18 months. I was appointed oh, right. for three. Yeah. And uh, because it, it was quite – so what I was doing was documenting right. what was happening in the health and safety environment. This mm-hmm. was the first health and safety um, reform that changed the discussion about um, – Dirt money and the careless worker yeah. uh, to um, safe work environments and yeah. and workers' yeah. sort of re- yeah. responsibility and out of that came the labor, uh, you know John Cain's reforms yes. uh, for, in the labor government. So I was documenting that the survey uh, was quite broad based across the workforce. People were. Uh, I drew up a survey form mm. which mm. indicated what people were what the workers were experiencing around that. And um, I was learning about a whole world that I had really no... Um, so you're, you're creating things as you're yeah, yeah. working. There's no guidebook, in other words. There's no Bible, no guidebook. Not not, not, not uh, around that, but in, a, in other ways, I never felt that I was mm. completely at sea. Like the, yeah. the delegates... Um, I mean, this again is counter to what I'd been trained, you know, like as ministers have been trained to be, um, help people in, yep. to, to, to facilitate lay people's ministry. Yep. Yep. But actually what happens is that lay people help you That's to find right. your ministry. Yep. 
And these men were teaching me about what was fundamentally important for them in terms of social justice, about dignity and respect, um, core things that uh, I've carried with me in, in, in my work and, since then. And did you continue in that work? Or? My word. Um, I helped set up an organisation uh, to provide an umbrella around that when I started there. Um, and we established an injured workers support program through that agency with mm. uh, volunteers. Uh, we established the first sort of memorial service for workers who'd been killed mm. at uh, Wesley Church in the city, which went on for 20-odd years. Um, and eventually we developed a program in the early 90s for um, families bereaved by work-related deaths, wow. and I followed with that until I retired. When did you retire? 2014, I was mm. retired, 66. That's a long time ago. It is now. Yeah, five mm. years. How does a retired sociologist and ex-minister <laughs> spend their time? Uh, well, I'm involved um, with the Centre for Religion and Social Policy. which what, what is that? That's at the University of Divinity, which is mm. a relatively new university um, but in Melbourne. Mm. Um, so I'm... Helping do a study on work stress in the university. Um, we're doing a follow up to um, <clears throat> the Royal Commission into Banking. We've just established an agreement with the Finance Sector Union on doing some focus groups with um, their frontline retail staff about right. what the Royal Commission basically has not paid attention to the effect of all this bad behaviour on mm. staff. Um, I mean, it's it's funny when you go into a bank these days. There's a little sign saying, "Please respect our staff." <laughs> well, they've they've copped so much abuse. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm um, doing some research with uh, West Papua um, Federal Republic on um, what type of research are you doing with the West Papua people? Uh, well, this we've got an agreement uh, around a couple of pro- three projects. Um, so I, my job is to recruit researchers from within the university. So we're looking at. Um, um, the relationship between, if you like, spiritual healing and traditional cultural practices in healing people who have been traumatised by the Indonesian sort of colonial rule. Mm-hmm. So what's the connection between culture, mm-hmm. Indigenous culture, uh, how does it understand healing, and what do some of the Christian sort of understandings of spirit and evil and so on, yeah. connect? how does that connect so that we've got a a person doing some work on that and another project looking at peacemaking. And um, so the Indonesians, in a way, have um, contributed to a mass migration into West Papua over the last 30, 40 years. And uh, there are many uh, people uh, on the local level who are working for peace, but there's also some fermenting of discord, you know, about the relationships. So about becoming a minority in your own country. mm, Mm. mm. So we're trying to look at um, what's happening on the ground in terms of peacemaking between um, the Indonesian people who've moved there and Indigenous people and, and who's running that because there is quite significant sort of, from what I'm hearing, goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also uh, political forces at work that are stirring up conflict. And, of course, then there's also um, 
growing sort of violence mm. in that circumstance. So, so what, what drew you to West Papua? Uh, they sent the university <clears throat> a request for help. That was it? Yep. You knew anything about West Papua before? No, I have to plead ignorance, I'm afraid. Yeah, and what did you think when you found out about it? Uh, well, um, I, I have been, this is a, lot, a roundabout way to you, in 2015, I went to Sri Lanka for six months with my wife as volunteers with the um, Jaffna Diocese, um, and the bishop there uh, had been on a um, fact-finding mission for the Christian Conference of Asia to West Papua, and he had also just recently been invited by the World Council of Churches to be on a pilgrimage to West Papua. So I knew that was happening, and when this request came through, that was what I knew about West Papua, that my colleague in Sri Lanka had had been doing what he could to build some bridges there and provide some solidarity. So I I emailed him. I said, would it help you in any way if I went on, if I followed this through? And he said, that would be good. So that that was the basis for me replying Mm -hmm. to the uh, request, which came to me. I'm I'm only the acting chairperson. I'm not... Yeah. I'm not so, a, so has it been a, pro- a productive interaction, do you think? Well, I think from the West Papuan uh, point of view, they're more than grateful that um, a mainstream university, um, and because of the Christian sort of culture in the West Papuan community, um, has taken their cry seriously. Um, and I think um, one should should never underestimate the importance of solidarity in terms of listening. Yes. So if they felt that they've been listened to, that we've produced some research projects that are respectful of what they're looking for, mm-hmm. and we're trying to work with them to, to get a process that's, again, respectful of, mm-hmm. of, of, of um, cultural sensitivities mm-hmm. but dealing with significant justice issues. Um, so although we've not produced anything yet, uh, I've got um, uh, a submission before the university's ethics committee oh, okay. for next week, right? They take ages. Maybe <clears throat> <laughs> you're an expert. <laughs> but we have to deal with these yeah, you've realities. Yeah, you've got to deal with all those. And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and again, I, mm. I think mm. there's a sense of gratitude that we're doing it respectfully. Okay. We're, we're not trying to take shortcuts on this. No, no. Um, and... Um, mm. Mm. Can I ask you some big questions? Go ahead. Mm. Big questions. I don't know if you've got any answers. I, no, no. I don't. <laughs> I mean, you've been around a long time. You've yeah. been involved with human beings a long mm. time. Mm. You've seen the best and the worst. Mm. So um, what do you think is the main issue for Australia today? The main issue? Mm. Um, reconciliation with Indigenous. You think that is the main issue? Yeah, I do. Why? Um, because it like you asked the question of it the, at the beginning about my relative about a stain on the family name, mm. the invasion uh, is a stain on our nation's um, soul, on our, mm. and um, until we address that, uh, everything else is being built on sand. Mm. It's an ancient biblical uh, image, mm. but if your foundations are built on the sand and not upon the rock, Uh, you know, the rock is truth, Mm. um, then whatever you build will be swept away. And that's what we're experiencing. I think the the disintegration in the West generally and Australian culture particularly 
is um, devastating. I mean, the number of people with mental illness, uh, I've, commit, I've done funerals for suicide people, people who've committed suicide. There is so much suffering in our community that is not being named mm. because the underlying suffering is not being acknowledged. And until the suffering of Indigenous people is spoken about freely and honestly, um, all the rest is just um, floss, really. It's, you think so? Yeah, I do. Mm. It, it's got no foundation. The, the foundation is broken, mm. and until it's um, acknowledged... Mm. Well, most people think of that as a side issue. They don't think it's the main game, do they? We've seen if the election <coughs> result, you know, gain, personal gain is the sure, main game. that's right. Uh, and, and, and that is an immense sadness for me, uh, both in the church and the... And, and in the wider political, you know, the, the major parties, yeah. that they are so preoccupied with what I call the narcotics of power. Right. There's an addiction to being in power, and if you're not in power, you don't really count. Um, what Indigenous people are showing us is um, an integrity that, come, that has come out of powerlessness, uh, and there is a power in their political mm-hmm. weakness that is fundamental to uh, their integrity mm. you know and 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 uh, yeah until we learn to listen to how indigenous people have endured these last 200 and whatever years mm. uh, as a non-indigenous society um, we will not learn mm. so what you- justice requires mm. so you know Reconciliation Week is coming up. Most Australians mm. don't realise Reconciliation mm. Week mm. is coming up. Mm. It's bookend by Sorry Day and Marbo Day. Yep. Uh, have, have you got any plans for Reconciliation Week? Has the university got any plans? I couldn't tell you. Uh, I wouldn't know what, whether the university has any plans in particular. How I about imagine. you personally? No, I haven't put anything in place. I mean, my commitment in a way is to... Um, there wouldn't be a service of worship that would not begin with an acknowledgement of Indigenous priority. Mm. Um, I'm looking at how the university, how our research into the banking mm. stuff would pay attention to what uh, an Indigenous perspective mm. on property, mm. uh, that is land, um, what it means. You see... Um, My second parish was at St George's in East St Kilda and the land on which St George's is built, which has now been sold off by the good old Uniting Church to a school, but that land was gifted to the church by the colonial government. Right. Right, crown land. But they were all gifted in the early days. Yes, yes, yes. All gifted. And at scores, but not as places like Scoresby and so on. But, but, you know, there's an enormous legacy of injustice that we just sweep mm. over. Right. So I'm my, my sort of commitment is to keep talking about these um, right. myths. Mm. Well, before you leave, I'll give you two invitations for sure. Reconciliation Week. Thanks, Joe. One's the uh, Bayside uh, Flag Raising Ceremony on the 25th of May, where okay. uh, my late wife's foundation, the Alan Hose Memorial Foundation, will be giving out four uh, scholarships to yeah. uh, students. Yes. Prep to... Prep to three, three to six, mm. seven to uh, ten, and eleven and twelve. Well done. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's a healing process, and also maybe an invitation to Marbo Day on the third. 
Mm-hmm. Of, and there are many other activities which are planned, and I encourage people to look up, look yep. it up, and attend. Well, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'd like to talk to you for another hour. I may bring you back in a year or so if you're still alive Good. and I'm alive, and we'll look at some deep philosophical questions why why I should actually consider Christianity. Okay, <laughs> being an atheist, why I should consider it. But but see, I'm I'm mm. I'm, I'm a, an apprentice atheist. Mm. I've never faced death, so until I face death. I don't know whether I'm going to uh, plead for mercy and uh, entry into heaven. I don't know yet. So I'm, I call myself an apprentice atheist. Uh, well, maybe we're all apprentices uh, <laughs> in, in, in some regards. Until we face death. Well, thank you very much, John. Thanks. Thank you for coming to the studio. It was a great having you here. It's good to get uh, uh, different perspectives thank from you. different people, and I think sure. you've made a, a major contribution to life in this country, which should be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I'm very proud to have you in the studio, and I'd like to thank Kelly for coming in and uh, doing all the hard work and making us look uh, good. Because without Kelly, we'd just be two old men talking in a corner to well, each we, other. We are. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thank John. you. Good. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.